This episode of the Impact Makers podcast is sponsored by Workplace from Meta. Everybody's talking about the metaverse these days, but Workplace from Meta is different. I mean, the clue's in the name, right? Workplace is a business communication tool that uses features like instant messaging and video calls to help people share information. Think Facebook before your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work, a future in which your job isn't just something you do, but something you experience. A future in which we'll all feel more present, connected, and productive. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com forward slash future. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Well, hey there, Impact Makers. Over the last few years, when the topic of effective leadership comes up, more and more the word empathy is brought up in the conversation. Just Google the phrase empathetic leadership and you'll find articles and leading publications with titles like empathy is the most important leadership skill according to research, why empathetic leadership is more important than ever, and why empathy is a critical skill today. Since my goal is to equip and encourage you to be the most impactful leader that you can be, I thought it would be helpful to bring on an expert in the topic of empathy and leadership to share more with us today. Marcy Clifville is the Chief Engagement Officer at Business Solver, and for the last seven years, Business Solver has released a state-of-the-workplace empathy report that examines the behaviors and benefits that make workplaces empathetic. As an experienced HR leader, Marcy oversees all aspects of HR and driving a high-performance culture at Business Solver. Prior to working there, she held senior-level HR roles at General Growth Properties and Come and Go. Her career in human resources began with Towers Watson, where she held various consulting roles in total compensation, as well as executive compensation. I think you'll enjoy our conversation today, where we'll discuss what empathy actually means, why some leaders struggle with empathy, and what they can do to strengthen their empathy muscle. We'll also chat about the 2022 State of the Workplace Empathy Report and why empathy ratings in the workplace are at an all-time low, as well as some practical steps organizational leaders can take to help develop a culture that includes empathy and more empathetic leaders in their workplaces going forward. Well, thank you for joining me today, Marcy, to talk about workplace empathy. I'm excited to learn more and to learn from you as an expert on this topic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really passionate about this, so it should be a great conversation. And I'm sure I will learn from you as well. Well, I'm I'm ready for both of us to do some learning here. Let's start right out of the gate. I guess I was thinking before our conversation about what I think empathy means. And of course, I've I've followed your work and the work of your company for years. But how do you define empathy? So I think in its purest form, it truly is putting yourself in the other's shoes. And it is stopping short, and especially from a business context, I think it's important to understand the difference between empathy and sympathy. And if you Google that, there's all sorts of fun little vignettes that can really uh, talk to that. But I think that's why there is such a, maybe a hesitation as we'll talk about in some of our research, especially from an executive level, because people so often uh, get confused between those two. And so it's not about wallowing and feeling sorry and, you know, really just becoming into that victim mindset. And certainly sympathy does have its place. So I don't mean to completely, but in the context of empathy, it is really important to draw that delineation 
because empathy is still about holding people accountable and it is still about owning what you're feeling or how you are behaving but it truly is going to that place of saying I really want to live by the reverse golden rule so not apply about what I want done unto me it's more about understanding what others want done unto them and taking that on uh, from that place Mm -hmm. I've actually uh, I've shared in one of my I did a wellness presentation or self-care presentation for HR leaders a couple of years ago. And in doing the research on that, had had a section where I talked about the difference between empathy, sympathy, and compassion. Mm. Because especially for HR leaders, I think they can fall into the trap of sympathy and compassion when empathy really is something different. Um, I love adding compassion to that. I'm taking that as as a note, uh, so just really interested, how did you, how did you sort of think about the compassion side versus the other two? Because I think we focus so much on the mm-hmm. empathy, sympathy, um, would love to know on the compassion, how you bring that into the conversation. Yeah, as you said, I think empathy is kind of like thinking about, you know, your, the other person's position and how this makes them feel, etc. Sympathy is, I feel sorry for you, or, you know, that that's terrible, <laughs> or in some cases, <sighs> compassion is more, I feel for you. I think that sure I can have empathy for you at the same time, have compassion on your circumstances or your situation or what is going on in your life. But to take action, I think the empathy is critical because compassion, you know, and, and as a former HR leader myself, I know I fell into that trap far too often when someone would come into my office with a life issue. And I would listen and feel very much for them. And then I would try to fix it. And that's the problem. You know, (laughs) the compassion becomes, let me give you money or let me tell you what you should do. And and that can be really dangerous territory, especially when you're dealing with life issues where you are not a trained expert. You're going maybe off of your own experience or what you think or what you've read or whatever, none of which are the right place to help people from in those situations. Yeah. So, well, I think it makes such an uh, impact too, as you think about how many HR professionals are leaving the field. And I think you've hit on it where, unless you can really put those things in, a, in their right place. So, you know, when is compassion? When is sympathy? you know, appropriate, but at what point does it drain you Mm -hmm. to the point where you can't be effective? Um, And I think you're right. That's where empathy is the key to keep that effectiveness. I think our recent study showed uh, more than 50% of HR professionals have said that they've encountered their own mental health issues over the last, you know, call it two years. And I I think that hits on it where Mm -hmm. if you, you feel powerless, if you can't solve if you do give a lot of money or you do something and it tips over to where you feel taken advantage of, I think mm-hmm. HR people are very, um, you know, can be susceptible to that in a big way. Yeah. I shared, I reshared a meme this week on social media. It was a little girl on a, must've been like a teacup ride at Disneyland, just screaming. This terrible face was terror. <laughs> and the meme said HR since March of 2020 every day. <laughs> sounds about right (laughs) I appreciate that because I'm like I know so many HR people that can relate to that meme and and probably you know other leaders as well so well thanks for for helping me to understand a little bit more about empathy so again as the expert on this topic why is it so important to be empathetic as a leader 
So I, I do believe fundamentally it's still true. People join organizations and they leave leaders and a big factor to, to that. And, and, you know, we, we always say around business solver, this isn't the soft stuff. This is the hard, these are the hard um, skill sets and people can learn it. But I think traditionally, especially for certain demographics and pick on white males, it's been something that if you show emotion, if you bring emotion into the workplace, if you cross that line of going down a personal route, it is a sign of weakness. And I think unlocking empathy is the key to turning around if you're susceptible to the great resignation, because it is the currency, you know, you can spend freely in a time where a lot of organizations are struggling with, okay, I'm paying at the top of the, you know, pay scale, I'm giving all these benefits, I'm wrestling through work from home, if that works in your culture or not, and, and I'm still losing employees. And so what's that, what's the gap? Like, where's the we would say, and based on our research, um, it shows if you have an empathetic leader and someone who can display that in an authentic way, it is the difference maker when it comes to employees jumping jobs for things that um, are in the moment can seem very attractive. But that question mark is, have, will, I, will I have another empathetic leader where I have someone who really truly cares about my perspective in what I may be dealing with. Um, so I think that's where as much as it's puzzling because a lot of organizations are offering a lot more flexibility, you still have, for example, women leaving the workforce at an extremely alarming rate. And so you scratch your head and you say, well, wait a minute, we are allowing this flexible work. You know, we are, um, doing things differently than we have before, which should appeal to say a female demographic and they're still leaving. Mm -hmm. Empathy, uh, again, data shows is the difference maker. So just because you want to retain someone in that role, if you haven't unlocked that empathetic piece, you're you're missing, you're missing out. Mm -hmm. It it kind of, when I read about, you know, how women are exiting the workforce at a more alarming rate than ever and and compare the empathy, I think, about my own experience uh, in my last role where I was a executive and there were, I guess, six of us on the executive team. So myself and one other woman, uh, our CFO, and we were both divorced single moms of young children. And the other executives, two of them had nannies and wives who stayed home and the others either had wives who didn't work, stayed, you know, worked in the home, didn't work outside of the home, or they didn't have young children at home. And so I can remember even before, this was before we were constantly talking about things like empathy and those things in the workplace, just having a conversation with my CEO going, what you're asking is very difficult for me because I need to pick my son up from school and take him to soccer practice. Mm-hmm. And you can't relate to that because that's not something you have to do in your situation. So I, I think, you know, that's a maybe very clear cut example in some mm-hmm. cases, but women are just, I think there's a lot of not understanding, not just white men who get, I just, I get picked on a lot, but sure. uh, even other women who maybe are at a different stage in life yeah. are not often very good at showing empathy for people who do not share their same circumstance. 
Well, and kudos for you for bringing it to his attention. I oftentimes think some of that is, again, applying the empathy gap where we can't expect that everyone understands what we may be juggling if we aren't willing to bring that forward. And early in my career, that would not have been something I would have done because I would have thought it showed weakness. I, by and large, was on executive teams where I was the only female. Mm-hmm. and I didn't always feel comfortable or really a lot. I never felt comfortable bringing up things that I knew at the time, if I would have said something, I'm sure I could have made a change or a difference, but I didn't say anything because I felt like I just had to make it work. Otherwise I was the burden or see, we should have never hired her. This job's too big for her. Right. (laughs) She has too many things that she's juggling. And now even if it doesn't necessarily impact me, my kids are older. Um, they are more self-sufficient. I do have a nanny. I also have, you know, a partner who is very involved and hands-on also works full-time as well, but I know I'm in a different place now. And so I will purposefully speak up in case there are others who don't. So one example is we're going to be traveling in a couple of weeks. And I know there are different people who have school starting at different times. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, missing that first day of school or even the first couple of days, or if you have a child transitioning into, well, let's say kindergarten or middle school or any of those sort of milestones, or if it's just, you know, a a stressor on that child to return to school, the parents are taking on that stress. And so even though I can have it figured out for the travel anytime, and I thought this was a real kudos to my CEO, who we also dubbed the chief empathy officer, he said to me, let's make sure we're not creating hardship on anybody. Can you find out when all the different school times are happening and what's happening with uh, people so we don't create an undue hardship? And I, I stepped back and thought, wow, we've, we've come a long way. I've come a long way because I would have brought it up anyway, but then he to have him there and he doesn't have kids in the home anymore. And so to think through that, I think is just something that I wish 10, 15, 20 years ago would have been my experience, but it wasn't. But now embracing that, telling the stories and trying to teach through mm-hmm. modeling the right behavior can make such an impact. Yeah, that's great. I mean, the modeling the right behavior is, and it's great to hear that it's coming from your CEO as well. So I think it's more in our frame of reference now to talk about empathy or it's being talked about. So leaders are hearing about it, but why do you think some leaders still struggle with empathy? I think you have to go back into, honestly, childhood and environment, demographic, how you grew up or how they grew up, and understand that that's years of possibly uh, living in a household or in and around or having a career that may have been at cultures in companies where it wasn't appropriate or it wasn't celebrated or pick your word to really get into people's personal lives or you couldn't make the hard calls if you knew too too much about someone or if you um, displayed empathy when people were dealing with whatever they were dealing. So people would really wall off personal and home. Mm -hmm. And now fast forward, you have a generation. And again, I don't think it's all generational. I still have I still have a strong belief. And again, our data would show it really does have to do with environmentally how you grew up, but certain 
cultures. I mean, there's a host of factors that can go into shaping you and how uh, empathy is displayed in the home. Mm -hmm. And that by and large is going to carry forward. And so I think uh, for some people, it's just really uncomfortable. And I do think it's easy to put a wall up and say, well, that's just not how I was raised. That's not been the organizations or the cultures I've been part of. I've been successful Mm -hmm. in spite of that. And so I'm just going to declare myself as I don't do the empathy stuff. I don't do the soft stuff. And it's kind of an excuse. Sure. Uh, But I think in certain, again, cultures, not just um, cultures of how you grow up, but also cultures of businesses and organizations, it's not a topic that is discussed. And I still think, especially as you're watching some of these companies struggle with getting people, as an example, back into brick and mortar, mm-hmm. you're seeing people very publicly, CEOs very publicly basically say, I, I just, I don't care. This right. is what it's, this is what it is. I want you back in that office. I don't really care what you're going through. You want to make New York dollars. You come to my New York office. You know, you don't want to figure out how to have your childcare. You should probably work somewhere else. I mean, those are real life examples of how certain, you know, people and people who are in power, just, they feel that it will be against their, the best of their business mm-hmm. to apply empathy. Cause really that's what that is. I mean, stating from the very, very top where you probably don't deal with any of the day-to-day right. <laughs> issues that your employees deal with, but yet you're willing to say, I don't really care what you're dealing with. You're getting into that office. That is exactly demonstrating um, that you aren't applying empathy. Sure. Well, as you said, there are people out there who say, that's just who I am, deal with it, or that's just the way it is, or that's the way we are. You know, they make a lot of uh, excuses, but I would hope that there's a larger percentage of leaders out there who who want to do the right things, uh, but maybe they did grow up in those environments or in those workplace cultures where empathy wasn't a thing. So I guess the question for us all is, can empathy be learned? Absolutely. And that's the bright spot of the whole um, unlocking that, right? You can uh, work on that muscle and develop it. And it it's something, again, research shows um, it's not you're born with it and you have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And definitely put it as a goal and work on it. And no one's, no one's perfect. And even those of us who would say, oh, I, I tend to be more empathetic or it comes up on our strengths or what have you, I get it wrong, certainly all the time. So I think there's power in seeing it, naming it, owning it, mm-hmm. and then pledging, I am going to do better. I'm going to continue to make sure I'm working on it and developing that as a core skill. So what are uh, maybe some things they can do beyond being consciously, you know, saying intentionally, I'm going to do this. What, how do they get better? I think finding that accountability buddy. So someone who it does come more naturally to and using that person as a safe place to go and maybe bounce. If you know a difficult conversation is coming, or if someone has shared something with you, or if something's not sitting with you write having that uh, trusted person to go to and say, I just need to be able to talk freely through this. And can you help me frame a different perspective? Or my instincts are telling me to wall this off or push this away. Uh, can you give me a different perspective of how to actually embrace or lean in? I think that those one-to-one 
truly, um, again, trusted advisor, accountability buddies, if, if you want to call them that, are, are really helpful because there are sometimes some really tough conversations and some deep-rooted perspectives that you need to just share and name it and own it. And I think that's incredibly difficult to do unless you have a person that's really trusted. I would always say also anyone who is um, has someone that they've gone to for therapy and whatnot, that this is a heavy topic that they can touch on and help you unlock as well. And then more broadly, I would say the reading materials out there, you know, at Business Solver, we subscribe to um, Brene Brown. She has a lot of great content out there that you can consume, podcast, listen to it on the two times, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and really her research is always grounded in data. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's very helpful for people who are hardwired that way to understand that this is coming again from a data perspective. And she has a really nice way, I think, of walking you through and framing up and getting, um, especially in her podcast, tackling real-time, you know, issues and, and walking through that. The other thing that I have found to help me, I go and purposely seek out information or podcasts or, you know, movie, documentary, what have you, that I know are maybe um, not always what I uh, agree with, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Sure. So I purposely try to go and get points of view that aren't just serving up and reinforcing what I already believe or know. Mm -hmm. And through our DE&I efforts and through having people post out their different books, documentaries, learnings, that's really helped me go grab content and immerse myself in what I normally wouldn't pick off the shelf or go and spend time um, so that I can start to educate myself on cultures, backgrounds, um, differences that I just, I haven't lived in my life. Sure. And there's a couple of things that have come out of that. One, it's helped me obviously be open minded and make sure that I'm, again, not just serving myself up and social media, right? They have those algorithms. They're just going to serve up to you (laughs) what you're already inclined to believe and follow. And so if you go that other way, there's content out there that, you know, I really, one would be Juneteenth. I didn't know the history. I thought I did, but I did not know it in the way that now I do based on immersing in our DE&I group and having actually people with relatives who lived June 13th and they have content that it's not super easy to find in mainstream. Um, And so I just, the power to just unlocking yourself into different types of periodicals and educating yourself, I've really found that fulfilling, Mm -hmm. but I also think it's really helped um, again to not just serve up and reinforce what you already believe or know, or you think, you know, that's been, it's really uh, been impactful to me. Yeah. I think, you know, a good example for me is certainly being intentional and being hungry to learn more 
and to find the resources. I can think of the example of like over, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging has always been important. And certainly in the work that I do, I've studied it and follow many experts in the topic. But over the last two to three years where it's really, really come to the forefront, particularly after George Floyd's murder, where a lot of the podcasts that I listen to or the articles that I read, we're bringing in experts to talk about how to do the work not just that it needs to be done, but how to do the work. It's really helped me to be much more aware of both my privilege, you know, a good, like I said, a good example being the, the white male CEOs who are saying everyone back in the office, not taking the time to think about the privilege that maybe they have. It's helped me also because I have also had periods of time where I've been like, well, you know, I get asked a lot about being a woman leader, as you mentioned, being the first woman on the leadership team. That was my case too, in a couple of workplaces that I had. So people will say, well, you have advice for women leaders. I'm like, just do it, you know? <laughs> but I, and then I have to remember, you know, being a white woman, white middle-class woman with, you know, the ability to get a certain level of education and, you know, just a lot of things that played into my approach to mm -hmm. dealing with that situation, which would be different for someone else. And also not to assume that someone looks like me right. has the same background. Uh, Absolutely. Maybe I was maybe I was practicing empathy at the same time while checking my privilege. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's been something very um, beautiful that's come out of our work at Business Solver is we have had people in privilege really start to feel guilty and bad, and in our book clubs and in our discussions, they have shared and, and been very vulnerable, which is so commendable, and others have jumped to that and said, no, this is applying grace upon grace. Right. This is not about making people feel bad for what they have experienced. It's about opening eyes and figuring out how to be that voice for people who maybe haven't had that voice, amplifying those voices and using that privilege in a way to lift others up, mm -hmm. not about shaming and uh, blaming so that uh, that has come very organically and it is a beautiful thing to watch solvers come together and support each other in that because you you do watch people realize oh man i you know have had this privileged mm -hmm. life and journey and and they can that can become on the other side of that that realization is healthy what have you it's a it's a transformation for them but you can't let that tip into feeling blame or feeling shame yeah. and being and blamed. Also helpful to think about, again, learning more about systemic racism, yes. you know, to, to realize the system's not set up for success for some people like it was for me. And so what can I do and what can we do to help change that? And I think there is hopefully some good work being done, although there's still much more to be done. For sure. I think one of the things we did as an organization, if this is helpful to anyone out there, is we put out a DE&I pledge and ask people as they feel compelled and they, and it, you know, and it's authentic mm -hmm. to sign it. And so you're just reminding me of that the, the pledge is be kind, whether I fall into a privileged or impacted group, my core tenant will be to be kind in my words and actions. Speak up. I will act with integrity to provide direct communication. When I experience or witness a subtle act of exclusion, I hold myself accountable to speak up and listen deeply and then do the work. I will commit to this work without expecting praise or reward, knowing that my commitment is helping make Business Solver and the world a better place. Oh, I like that. Very well done. 
Well, I've been following the work of Business Solver for the last few years and have read the last few state of workplace reports. And I guess you guys have been studying empathy for seven years. One of the things that uh, jumped out at me this year in the 2022 report, which again, I'll link to in the show notes, was that empathy ratings are at an almost all-time low when we're talking about it more than ever. Help me understand that. Yeah, it's it's a real head scratcher. And then you take a huge step back and you think about w- what everyone's been through. And I think some of this is one, we're holding at a much higher accountability level, the bar mm-hmm. for what truly displaying empathy is. And I think a perfect example of, of that is when George Floyd uh, murder occurred and organizations who jumped very quickly to uh, put a statement out there. And then you would sort of go behind that statement on social media, read from the employee's perspective. That's great. You're saying this externally. We don't see any of this internally. It doesn't match. Mm -hmm. And so there's an authenticity piece that I just don't think people, if it's lacking, they're just not going to put up with it (laughs) said very plainly. So I think uh, through everything that we've all been through in this country, it's just the bar is higher mm-hmm. and you can't just make it a marketing media and then dump it on HR. It's just not going to work. It has to be, again, top down, middle up, ground up. It's, it's got to be in the fabric of your culture or employees are not going to give you a pass and say, oh, yeah, I have an empathetic employer if they don't actually feel it. And and experience it. So that's that's the first thing. I think the second thing is there is that tipping point, and especially in that holding ourselves accountable and, and really trying to do the right thing. Uh, there is a tone and tenor out there. And I think that's some of the research that's coming through where on the CEO side, it's dropping as well, where people feel I can't do anything right. So I'm just going to exit out of the conversation or, you know, not do the work because I can't get it right. So I have an example of that. I I sent out a a communication when we were approaching uh, Juneteenth and I used a phrase that I thought through my research and through some experts helping us. I said, you know, we stand with our black solvers. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I used the black solvers incorrectly. What came back from uh, some solvers was we should stand with all solvers because just because you're not black does not mean Juneteenth does not have meaning to you. And so I brought that to our executive team. I thought it was really important that we hear that side of it and that we learn from that when it comes to phrasing, because it is an assumption. It is an assumption that we only stand with black solvers when, how do we know that there aren't other people for a variety of reasons? They're in a, uh, they're married to someone who's of a different race. They have biracial children. I mean, there's so many things. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it was a learning. And I will say there was some, not pushback, but the other side of it saying, gosh, are we just going to have to think through every single word before we send any communication? And I think in that rumbling, we call, you know, again, Brene Brown in that rumbling, in that discussion where we all, you know, left was it, it, we just, we have to continue to do the work. Mm -hmm. We won't get it right. 
a lot, <laughs> but hearing that different perspective and understanding phrasing, um, word phrasing is so important, word choices. And lucky for us, we have a cadence of communication. So on that following Monday, we had our live show that goes to the whole uh, workforce. We were able to just address it because oftentimes two things get lost in writing. We need to hear it. We need to see it. They need to see the emotion behind it. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to address it's just a continuous learning. And so even if you're fatigued and you feel everywhere I turn, I have a different, you have to embrace those other points of view and say, all of it, it's about learning. And I would much rather be somewhere where people care enough mm-hmm. to bring perspective forward. And they give us the grace because they want to share it and they want us to be better than not saying anything. And, and there's no learning and no growth, but I do think there's some fatigue happening and people are stepping back from it and saying, I just can't get it right. Right. So I'm out. Yeah. And that's, you know, we would say those are the moments you, you lean in and you really embrace. Yeah. Leadership is hard. It's always been hard, but I think, uh, as you said, there, there are people who are stuck in that damned if I do damned if I don't kind of mentality, but I hope what comes out of this, I don't think we're in that now as a society is that, that we're all able to demonstrate more compassion because people do make mistakes for a variety of reasons, or like in your case, you you led with in t- good intentions, uh, but then you were educated as to mm-hmm. how that could be different by people who were impacted by your good intentions. So the important I think thing for leaders, while they are tired, you know, we joked about HR leaders earlier, but leaders in general are tired. I think mm-hmm. I saw the the Gallup numbers or something that uh, engagement numbers for leaders are at like the motivation numbers for leaders are at an all time low as well because they are tired. Mm-hmm. But the best thing that we can do is to do as you did, you know, learn from that, communicate what you've learned. But I think the really important thing for all of us, not just leaders to do, is to show compassion and empathy and sympathy when appropriate to others when they make mistakes, because that's where the real learning takes place. You know, when people see that we're able to allow other people to learn through their mistakes, we're not canceling everyone for what they're doing today or what they may have done 10 years ago, which is is kind of the current flavor of, of things. But really, I was watching a comedian who's been recently canceled and uncanceled and canceled again. <laughs> uh, one of his specials this week, and and he kind of ended with uh, about talking about the human experience. Let's realize that we're all going through this human experience together, and try to understand that we're mm-hmm. we're not all doing it right. But if we can relate to all going through the human experience, I think mm-hmm. that will put us in a better place. So, well, I'll. Oh, I like to leave with uh, practical ways that leaders can make an impact. Do you have any practical steps that leaders can take to help develop a culture of empathy and more empathetic leaders in their workplace to take us home? Yeah, no, I think it starts with what we are willing to put out for yourself, right? And so if you show vulnerability, if you as a leader model that behavior, it will unlock your team to take that page out of your book and it will it will be uncomfortable especially if it's not something that comes natural to you but you will see that will pay dividends and you will see uh, your employees respond to that in a very positive way so in a virtual world small things if you get done with a meeting early or if you have a cadence of one-on-ones and for whatever reason your agenda you get through it and you have you know, that 10, five minutes even left, 
instead of taking that, you know, the typical, oh, I'm going to give you 10 minutes back. Don't say, hey, how, how are things going? What's going on in your, in your world? Um, I think you had mentioned um, you had a kid leaving for college. I think you mentioned that there was some illness with an in-law. You know, talk to me about it. Let, and, and just listen. Mm-hmm. You don't have to solve. You don't have to. But just taking that time to make a connection, I think, is, is huge. And I think right now, especially if you're in a full virtual, jumping from screen to screen to screen or call to call to call, you can lose that human connection, the walk by the, the water cooler, um, you know, stop, you can lose that. And so I think really being intentional, uh, we do stand up <clears throat> every day and in that stand up, it's 30 minutes. And so I lead once a week, it's, you know, my stand up. And so we'll do a variety of different things, bringing guests, what have you. One stand up, which I have to give credit to, my assistant, she had noticed um, we weren't sort of making, we were really busy. We had a lot of things going on in our department. And so we used the full 30 minutes to just go around the horn Mm -hmm. and say, what's going on today? And I learned some things, I mean, about team members I've had on my team for a long time. And they mentioned some things that candidly, I wasn't aware of. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be severe, serious things. It can just be, yeah, today, you know, I'm, celebrating some obscure anniversary of something. I mean, just little things that are going on with people's lives and taking the time to listen to them, mm-hmm. I think is great. And again, not always dwelling on what's going wrong, but hey, what's what's a blue, we call it blue sparkle. What's a blue sparkle going on in your life? I really, I really want to know about that. So little things, but again, I know they can be awkward if you've never done them before. So if you have someone on your team that is more of that, uh, person that everyone goes to, or they have more of that energy they can bring. It doesn't mean that you are, you know, you can't outsource empathy, but what you can say is, Hey, you're really good about bringing energy. Would you run this, you know, team building for me? Would you be willing to open it up and share first? Mm -hmm. And if you share first, people will take a page out of your book. So look around the people who have those strengths, ask your HR business partner, for some of those ideas of how to just connect teams. There's so much great free material out there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you subscribe to the table group, um, the Lencioni podcast, they have so many great column icebreakers, but things that can get you deeply connected. And then I would just say being very aware mm-hmm. and taking an inventory at the end of the day, I went to 10 meetings. Did I make any personal connections in any of those uh, did I notice that somebody wasn't their usual self mm-hmm. and would it be comfortable for me to shoot them a quick note and just say, Hey, just, you know, notice today in the meeting, you're a little quieter, no big deal. Just want to make sure, you know, I noticed. And so if there's something, if I could be a listening ear, I mean, things like that, just start to build that empathy muscle mm-hmm. and eventually it becomes a habit, sure. uh, but it does take it takes a while. And so you have to just be intentional, build it into your agenda, whether you publish it externally or not, build it into your own agenda and just remind yourself to just take a step back, take a breather and and say, today, did I just blow through my day and not make one personal connection? Or was there something I could have been more intentional about? And then tomorrow's a new day. So try to build it into uh, what you're 
you know, what you're already doing. And that again, will become a habit and we'll start to build that and then go back to the research. You're going to link in our empathy workplace, bring that to your executive team, bring it to your, you know, HR team, your leadership team, arm them with data so that when they run into the people who say, ah, that's that fluffy stuff, there's no place for this, bring the data and just say, look, I think you should take a look at this data. I think it might be a difference maker for us as a business and have real business outcomes. And if you bring it into a business mindset, um, you have a lot better chance of opening up eyes of people who just are wired differently. Sure. Well, thanks for sharing those tips with us and also more about what it means to be an empathetic leader. I really appreciate that. How can people connect with uh, you or a business solver to learn more and continue their journey to be more empathetic leaders in the future? Sure. No, I think LinkedIn is a great place. We publish all of our content. It's all accessible. We we do a lot of webinars. Um, I just did one. Gosh, was that already earlier this week or the week before with our chief strategy officer, our CFO? Mm-hmm. and our CEO um, talking about how this uh, plays into each of our different respective areas and how we come together. Um, CFOs oftentimes get the rap of the unempathetic, the hard nose, the numbers. So if you find that webinar um, and you'll hear directly from our CFO, I think it can be really impactful. So definitely LinkedIn, um, you know, Facebook, and we publish. If you subscribe to our weekly blog, you will get more information than uh, maybe you even know how to sift through, but it'll be there for you so you can grab it. And then I'm always accessible through LinkedIn as well. Um, and then if you go to our www.businesssolver.com, everything on our webpage is there and accessible. So, okay. Well, thanks again, Marcy, for joining me today. I really appreciate it and look forward to continuing to learn from you in the future. Thank you. I learned from you as well. So I really appreciate the time. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 